Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings. Hey, thanks for joining me here on the Do Business Better podcast. I'm your host, Damian Mason, but you already knew that because you heard that in the introduction. We're coming at you as an audio, which we always have for all of these nearly 100 episodes. And we're also coming at you video here on YouTube. That's right. If you've always been a listener and you want to now be a viewer, if you want to see my beautiful face and my guest beautiful face go on d mason comedy that's my youtube channel uh it's it's just as easy as going on youtube and just type in damian mason and they get a playlist there for this podcast do business better as well as my other podcast about the business of food and agriculture which is called the business of agriculture got a great show for you today as always because i've got a guy who's a franchise fanatic now that sounds silly but he's a franchise consultant he knows about franchises he is he, he helps people get franchise he brokers franchises he's going to tell you about franchise franchising because some folks need a little guidance. Also, there's, let's not pretend this is not entrepreneurialism. There are people that I know that have subway franchises and they make a boatload of money and they just do a little bit of innovation here and there. Anyway, his name is Lance Growling. He's going to tell you more about it than I can tell you because that's what he does. He makes a living helping other people make money by being in the franchise business. Is that an adequate introduction? What an intro, Damien. How do I follow up that? All right. So, well, first off, you start by telling these people that are listening, because the people that listen to this podcast, Lance, you know, they might be uh, a striving want-to-be business owner. They might own a little business. A lot of them might just be sole proprietors, uh, maybe like uh, a guy and his wife that have three dry cleaners. Uh, you know, what do they need to know about what you do? Because I find it interesting that I drive down the street and I said, you know, I wonder if you owned three of those, could you make a lot of money? And that's probably what you're going to tell me. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I have entrepreneurs from all walks of life. And in some cases, I call them prepreneurs because there are people that maybe never owned a business that approach me. The bottom line is, you know, people that have owned their own business before understand the trials and tribulations, the learning curve, if you will, to get your business to you know what you intend uh, initially envisioned, what was your initial vision or intent for your business is a question I commonly ask people when I work on a on a consulting basis to assist them in their growth and whether it's revenue or improving their marketing. Now on the franchise side, franchises have been around forever, and the reason franchise franchises have succeeded is it's a proven system, and the best part of that proven proven system is you know, my job is to introduce people to brands that they're gonna like, they're gonna, they're gonna love, and it's about finding them the perfect franchise. And at some point in the process, they say to me, you know what, Lance, I really like that brand, can you introduce me? Now, further down the road, the end result is they have a stage that we call validation. They get to talk to other franchisees and find out, you know, number one, would they do it again? And, and number two, how much money do you make? Because in franchising, the brands are not allowed to say just anything about earnings claims. That's in the franchise disclosure document, not to go down the rabbit hole of, of, of legal aspects of franchising. It is regulated by the, the federal government. But look, franchising is like any business. The top 10% of all franchisees are very wealthy and quite successful, and the bottom 10% are not. 
and and you know everybody else in between is doing well. Uh, but you know, look, cut your learning curve. You get into a franchise. Nobody's closed your eyes to this. Your eyes are going. Your eyes are wide open. Go into this process. You start to understand what fits me and what doesn't fit me. And my services are free. I consult with people and and you know show them what I think will fit them. Now I do have people that come to me that maybe want a restaurant or want a home-based business. And I have others that say, you know what, Lance, you're the expert in this. Show me something that will fit me. And it's amazing what happens there. I just, uh, a lady landed with a hair salon recently. Now, it's in the middle of you know, COVID-19, so uh, at the time, her area was not open. Uh, so to speak. Get, get arrest, you'll get arrested if you try the woman in the house. <laughs> get arrested if you try and cut somebody's hair, right? Which is, which is terribly sad these days, but that's the reality. We hope safety first is what everybody looks to, uh, to do, and that's everybody's goal. But that's, that's kind of the crux of things. You know, franchising is alive and well, and through the pandemic, you know, I have brands that are essentially recession-proof. I mean, brands like Home Restoration, yeah. um, you know, if somebody has a flood or a fire or smoke damage or mold remediations required, um, you know, interest rates are low. People are still looking for homes. So you get into a home like that and you need, you know, or you're actively living in a home like that, you need a brand to bail you out. Franchising has a lot of home restoration brands that are quite successful. All right. So before we, before we get into all that, here's a couple yeah. of things. So first off, your background, um, you uh, have an economics degree and you're going to be a finance guy. And then you went to work for a company that I think is a, a, a neat brand. And it's one that everybody recognized TGI Fridays. I was a little kid growing up on a farm in Huntington, Indiana. I went to Pittsburgh. Uh, my oldest brother lived in Pittsburgh. It's the first time I went to this place. It was crazy because like they had, it was ruckus. There was music, you know, you're a little kid from a small farming background. You're like what the hell's going on here? And I thought, wow, that's neat. So I believe that that was not the first franchise I'd ever gone to, but it's the one that you started out with. And I, and I have an indelible memory. Uh, so tell me what you, you said. I'm, you worked for them doing what? Well, I, so I got recruited. I was working on Wall Street for my dad's company. I was one of those guys that you know, grew up with the purpose or thought process that I'm going to follow dad into his business, which was you know, Wall Street. They were the largest over-the-counter trading house on Wall Street. I worked in the trading room throughout the summers to learn as an apprentice. And then I, I graduated and I, I sat in the trading room and I said to myself, Damien, like you have at some point in your life and said, is this for me? Is this what my purpose is? I'm going to be in a trading room, although I can make a tremendous income. I'm in the middle of New York City and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm done. I want greener pastures, so to speak. Not so much farming like you, you do, <laughs> but I wanted something else. And talk about uh, timing. I had a relative that called me who was very successful in tech before most people were successful in tech in the 70s, late 70s. And he said, I wanna buy a TGI Fridays franchise. I heard you're bored. I know you had some experience in the restaurant business in college. You enjoy the people aspects of the business. Come join me. And he bought four TGI Fridays restaurants in the Phoenix, Arizona market. And I started, hold on to your shorts. I started as a host at TGI Fridays for $8 an hour. $8 an hour. He would not give me anything more than that to move, but I lived in his guest house on his property. Yeah, and you know, the thing they always talk about is you learn from the from the floor up, so to speak. Uh, it wasn't the idea that you're going to stay a host, but the point is, and you see it from the front of stores they talk about in restaurant and bar business. Yeah, absolutely. 
And so and you it, see it from front of the store, and then probably maybe at some point you move back to being in the kitchen. Then you see it from back of the house, which is really, really important because remember, if there's no, <laughs> first off, you need customers. If you don't have customers, you have no business. And then your customers came there to eat. So if you don't have the back of the house working right, you're screwed up. So I imagine you did both, and then all of a sudden you started understanding. You, you hit it right on the head. Front of the house, back of the house. Back of the house typically is called heart of the house. A lot of customers aren't seeing it, but that's the heart. That's where everything starts. And I did it all. I did it all. Went through Friday's six-month training program, became a manager, eventually became a regional manager. And uh, I helped uh, Uncle Steven, uh, you know, in strategy sessions and really learned from him over the years. But I got really close with uh, my mentor today, Ken Green, who ran that brand for them. And I'm still very close to Ken, uh, you know, to this day. We speak almost weekly. Okay. Uh, and it was, yeah. The thing is, you then, you, you, you were not an owner. And uh, I was not. Then take me from Fridays. Yeah. So from Fridays, I got the taste. I got I got bit by the bug of franchising and the restaurant business, so to speak. I had, had some restaurant experience prior, but I said, you know, I'm loving this franchise model. And and that Fridays franchise, we we built that through acquisitions and new store openings over five years to 225 million a year. And uh, it was an incredible company and brand. But you know, the leadership of Fridays changed. And uh, I I didn't I my vision no longer matched with theirs. And and Fridays didn't do so well. Uh, thereafter, but I said to myself, you know, I, I need to be my own boss. Uh, quite honestly, I had some bosses that, that I reported to uh, at TGI Fridays that I didn't have a good experience with. And uh, I was friends with all the big bosses, but the intermediaries, when I was running up the ladder, uh, you know, I said to myself, I'm not going to waste my time doing this. I want to be my own boss. And, uh, you know, over time, it took me time, but I, I got an investment group together. I made some mistakes, but I ended up becoming uh, a partner in uh, Krispy Kreme. And I did Krispy Kreme in multiple states. I was, I was essentially invited into this partnership and I was the managing partner. 25 million a year selling donuts in multiple states is what we built that to. And I was the operating partner. I was the hands-on guy, just like I was at TGI Fridays. And, uh, you know, loved that experience. And from there, years later, I did Wingstop. And, uh, you know, made, made some other mistakes, in some cases different. I've created my own brands along the way, a donut shop that was incredible. I'm now currently helping a, a Food Network star create a new donut shop in Las Vegas called Wicked. Um, so I'm an advisor to that as well, but I created a, a brand in Vegas called Pink Box Donuts. It's pretty famous. You sold out of uh, your involvements on these other, do you own a restaurant right now? Uh, right now I have uh, a piece of a brand in the Midwest, uh, a brew pub brand in the Midwest I have some equity in, but I sold out of everything else. Uh, because what I wanted to do is basically take all of my experiences. I realized on my journey that so many young emerging restaurant brands and franchise brands in general didn't really know how to tap in. Maybe they didn't make the proper transition with digital marketing today uh, versus where they were 15 years ago before the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, how to, how to bring in franchisees to their model. How is it appropriate? What is the appropriate methodology to grow today? So I have uh, several exclusive and private clients, but I'm in a network where I am the largest franchise broker in the United States. It's closer to about 580 brands that I represent today, probably 155 restaurants, and the rest are in literally 100, 150, 175 other categories. Okay, so tell me how you how does Lance Growlick with uh, your company name is Ion Eon? 
Ion. Ion Franchising. I have my Ion Franchising, Damien. So how, how do you make money at Ion Franchising? Well, I am on a commission basis with all of the brands that I represent. We have different commission deals, whether it's a single unit deal or multi-unit deal. Okay, now um, is it because, hang on now, uh, the person listening to this show says, man, I'll tell you what, I've thrown a few things at the wall that didn't stick. Maybe I should just grab what capital I can, leverage the house, and buy four Krispy Kremes, uh, Wicked Donuts, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Is that who calls you? Or does the company that says, I want 500 of these things across the country, go and figure out a way to get them sold? Who calls you or is it both? All of the above. And there's a third part of it. So anybody looking at a franchise, anybody that has questions about a franchise, I do it all for free. There are people I talk to for years before a deal closes. And then there are other people that, that never buy a franchise, and that's okay. I feel like I can help them out. Now, uh, yes, corporations or, or brands call me. I got a call from a big brand the other day that invited me into their network, and they don't use brokers. A lot of brands keep things in-house. But the third leg of it that I've been very successful with is my team sets up independent businesses to franchise. So uh, a lady called me the other day from Atlanta through a referral. Lance, I have a salon suites business. I have two locations. I've looked at other franchise brands out there in the salon suites segment. I think I have a competitive advantage over them and they're quite successful. They have 150 so locations plus. Can you help me? We get on the phone, uh, always a first call obviously with me. We get on with my team as well. We lay it out. And, uh, and, and she's in and she's going to start franchising. Usually we can set people up to franchise within 90 days. Okay, so her then, so because somebody listening to this uh, show right now by me saying, hey, I do pretty well and I've got three locations. Uh, maybe there could be 20. Yes. What do they need to know? Well, what they need, first of all, like I said, my consultation, my first consultation is obviously free and we have a fee for setting it up, which is very cost effective. What they need to know is they need to look within themselves and, and know number one, do they have demand for their business? Are people like the salon suites lady, Patrice, are people asking her, are people asking the individual, let's call, it, call her Patrice, mm -hmm. uh, for a franchise? Uh, Patrice, ha Patrice has a list of people that are interested in you know, joining her franchise. Number two, do you have a solid system, procedures, and systems in place? Or can you get that together? Sometimes it's like writing a book. Uh, can you get all that information together quickly? Uh, and of course, that's something that can be refined on a regular basis. When I joined Wingstop, their procedures weren't what they were in the early days compared to what they are today. So that is okay. But is it a system that people can make money? Can you charge somebody a royalty, an ongoing royalty, number one, feel good about it, that they're gonna get value on an ongoing basis with your brand and your systems, and they're gonna make some great profitability. And, and you know, these, uh, a franchise is a long-term relationship like a marriage. You know, typically they're 10-year agreements. So when you invite somebody into your brand, you're gonna be with them for 10 years, minimum. Okay, so uh, 
the most of the time I'm guessing that you're making your living off of the company that wants to have 20 more facilities or hundred more branches or whatever. How often do you get called by somebody like Damian Mason that says, Hey, you know what? I've got my business that I do this. And I got my farm, but I wouldn't mind owning three Wendy's or something like this. Right. But, but do I need you? Because I know that if I read the wall street journal, I might run across an ad that says, uh, if you have, million dollars of net worth you can own uh, McDonald's or whatever tell me how that works well the reason you want me involved is number one if you go directly to a major brand that you're targeting versus me I become your advocate and and I might show you other brands that you like better than that brand and you're not going to pay more by going to me at the end through the brand the franchise fee is the same and that's a legal thing as well. The franchise fee is the same whether you use me yeah. or go directly to any of my brands. Yeah, so you're taking a bite out of what they're, what I'm paying doesn't come, uh, it comes out of their, theirs versus your, or mine. So that's fine. Then I get the consultation and the advice, et cetera. So that's all good. And then you say, hey, you thought, Damien, that you wanted to own two or three Wendy's. Um, there's another up and coming burger place, the whatever, in and out or some such thing. And you right. say, really might be a better fit. Is that kind of what you're uh, doing? That's, exact, that's exactly right. Now, keep in mind, my first phone call with people, we talk about their investment level they're looking to make. Are they going to require financing? What, does, what is their desired market? So for some people, for example, I'm working with a gentleman in Canada right now. You know, he, he looked years ago and got overwhelmed. And he gave it up because before you knew it, he inquired with so many different brands. He had people chasing him for years on his voicemail. You avoid all of that dealing with me because what I'll do is a territory check for you. None of my brands will contact you until I say, you know, Wendy's, um, Mr. Damian Mason would like a phone call. Please reach out to him. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that once they think that there's somebody with a million dollars that he's wanting to, she is wanting to put into something by God, then it's like, uh, it's like the, the sharks are circling, right? In some okay. cases. And I don't sell anything. I'm here as a resource. Yeah. And that's truly it, you know? And, and, and if I can get you a business, that's my deal. Let me ask you this. Okay, play the devil's advocate. I'm entrepreneurial. I'm creative. Why would I need to buy that place? And, of course, the first thing I say is, well, they have a system. And generally, it, it, there's a reason Subway exists or McDonald's or whatever. Their system must work. Uh, their failure rate is, you know, we always hear that, half the small businesses fail within five years. The truth is I don't think they fail. I think sometimes they just give up. They just, I mean, it's like, my God, this is a lot of work. My, my they, give up, don't, they give up and they don't want to put money in it again anymore. Right. Yeah. And my buddy Larry Wing had always made the joke. He's like, these people that say they've got a dream of running a small business for most people, it's a freaking nightmare. You know, uh, it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're going to quit your normal job where they give you a, a car allowance and insurance and a 401k. And now you're going to be working Saturday until 11 o'clock at night. Uh, are you sure that's your dream? Uh, so I understand all those things. So it's a proven system. Um, what, what other reasons? Well, you know, one of my favorite, uh, you know, clarity is currency. And when you can get clarity on what you're doing, I know quite a few high net worth individuals that have taken the path to become a franchisee first. Uh, maybe they made their money in real estate, maybe they made their money in Wall Street, maybe they made their money in farming. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not in farming, I don't know. Yeah, so so but, the point is then they said, it's time for the, you know, the third act or the second act, and exactly. this is something that I can be an investor in, 
Uh, and then the idea that it's a proven system this way, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yes, and to your exact point, what ends up happening most often is these high net worth individuals jump into a franchise, whether they're gonna run it themselves or hire people, give somebody else equity, make somebody else a managing partner, and, they're, and they become very successful within either a niche or just in general the franchise world that they've never been exposed to before, they're probably gonna buy more franchises mm -hmm. than, you know, maybe they own a restaurant franchise and now they're gonna get into a, uh, a salon. Like I have a family friend that owns 19 uh, Great Clip salons yep, and yep. Makes, uh, makes a fortune. But, but the culmination to all of this, Damien, to your point, is some of those people down the road after owning franchises and understanding systems, then they do their own business because now they have a better foundation and then they do create their own brand because they feel more confident. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the other part of this. Um, it can be as hands-off, I guess. If you've got the money, you know, I knew a guy that played for the Chicago Bears years ago. I met him in, in Scottsdale, Arizona. We used to play basketball. So he's a former NFL football player that then got into Burger Kings. And, you know, he talked about that. He said, you know, I was a star at uh, Ohio State and then I'm a star for the Chicago Bears. And uh, I went and signed autographs at a Burger King in Whiting, Indiana. Uh, the guy gave me his card and said, hey, when your football career is over, he's like, like the next week, he goes out and gets his knees shot. You know, he's shot. So he bought Burger Kings. And he said, you know, it could be pretty humbling because I'm running on to Soldier Field, my arms in the air, and everybody's cheering for me. And then a month later, I didn't know anything about running restaurants. I've eaten at Burger King. And all of a sudden, uh, nobody comes in. I'm back there making sandwiches. So, I mean, it's, it still doesn't remove the work. It, it gives nope. you a system. It gives you a system that's probably been successful. There's a reason there's so many Burger Kings, right? But it right. doesn't mean that you're not still sometimes a, having to do the work. No, they're, they're unsuccessful franchisees. And in most cases, it's the person. Uh, and I hate to say it. In most cases, it's the person. It could be a really bright person that, that put somebody else in charge and didn't, didn't check them. Because, you know, in a business like Burger King, in your example, very customer service focused. You have to have the consistent product. And, uh, you know, not everybody's going to be successful. Franchising is not right for everybody. Now, one of the things I take people through, to your point here, is are you going to be an owner-operator? Are you looking for a single unit, multiple units? Are you going to be an executive-level owner? Mm -hmm. uh, I have a brand that I personally represent that's a very, very hot brand. I have a lot of celebrities that are inquiring. And the number one question I ask to the rapper that I spoke to on the phone is, you know, you're amazing, you're incredible, you have a tremendous amount of money, that's fantastic. Who is going to run this business? Mm -hmm. I had the same conversation with a, a retired basketball player the other day. Who's gonna run the business? Mm -hmm. Well, I know people, that's wonderful. I just wanna warn you, the biggest failure that I see with successful people getting involved in franchising is they lose sight of the fact that someone's got to run this business. That's a fantastic, I, I was queued up, see, you're, 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 you're a good guest, because <laughs> I was queued up to ask you biggest mistake, and I was going to wonder if that was it. They think, oh, I'm, I got money, uh, I just bought four you know, XYZ franchises, and that's my new business. I'm like, well, great. Who's still making the sandwiches, or who is still cutting the hair, or who is still making sure that someone is there to cut the hair, or making sure that someone is there to do the mold check in the basement with uh, dry basement uh, 
you know, franchise. So I get your thing. Is that the biggest failure? They don't understand that somebody still has to actually run the thing and do the work? Absolutely. They can't. I truly believe that autopilot, so to speak, can come down the road. Uh, again, family friend that owns 19 Great Clips hair salons, he worked. He worked for a year and a half. He worked hard for a year and a half, only a year and a half or so. And, and then he, and he stepped back. In multi-unit operations, you can be hands-on for one or two locations and split your time. Three locations, it makes it pretty hard. By the time you get to four locations, guess what, Damien? You can't clone yourself, 25% of yourself, and have it be effective. You have to work through your people. And that's just leadership 101. And franchise brands, the best brands, will teach you all about multi-unit management. Yeah, and that's the thing there, because you know somebody like me, 26 years of sole proprietor, if you will, uh, my business, uh, it needs me, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. You call Absolutely. jury duty, I always put the thing, my business cannot substantively nor materially operate without me being present, I think is the actual, I've gotten called for jury duty like six times, it's always the same thing. Like, I can't be at the courthouse for the next 13 weeks if there's some big trial going on because this business, no, there's no cheeseburgers to get made without Damian Mason. Absolutely. So there's that part of it. And like you always say, um, yeah, you can do a couple units, uh, but all of a sudden, when you're going to have six, you can't be at six places and, and uh, things suffer. Uh, so that's the biggest mistake. Uh, success story. The thing, you know, we can hear about big money and all that. You got a good story for me. Uh, the, the, the poor gal that uh, she cut hair and then she all of a sudden has three places. Is there, is there a good one like that? Yeah, there, there's, there are so many stories out there. I mean, there's guys. Look, when I was at Wingstop, the very first franchisee of Wingstop, uh, this is, this is a great story. The first franchisee of Wingstop fell in love with the food like often happens with the restaurant business. Mm -hmm. And he signed on as a, as a new franchisee. And he had X amount of money, he had some working capital, but the business didn't take off as some businesses don't. Wingstop was not an established brand at that point, but he wasn't gonna start his own wing place. He didn't wanna figure out the R&D, so to speak, on all these sauces and everything. And he wanted to buy a system even though it was a new brand. So uh, within about nine months, he needed money. He went back to the original owner uh, of Wingstop and said, look, I'm gonna go out of business. Uh, any way you can float me alone. And, and he got a loan from the original founder. That guy today, I, I, you know, unfortunately I lost track of, of him in time. I, I, last I checked had 30 plus Wingstops. Um, and he's a multi-gazillionaire from Wingstop. And, uh, you know, it started, it's all about persistence, uh, work ethic, having a vision for yourself. But, you know, you have to have the money and you have to have the ability to get the money because too many businesses fail just because they were that close. You know, you've seen the images on the Internet or videos. Uh, I've seen all kinds of memes around of that guy with his miners pick and he's mining for gold and he, he gives up. And what he doesn't see on the other side after 20 years of mining for gold. He's that far away. He's that, he way that far away. He was that far away. And that's what happens in business. Sometimes people give up too soon, but you got to have the capital. 
His name is Lance Growlick. My name's Damian Mason. The podcast is named the Do Business Better Podcast. You know that. Uh, the sponsor is me, Damian Mason, reminding you that if you are a franchisee, franchise, or if you just want to be a business person, if you belong to a trade group or an association that has a meeting, yes, someday meetings will come back because we all know that you can't really build networking over the internet. And more importantly, people go to associations and conferences so they can go to the bar afterwards and bitch about stuff and possibly hook up. We know what really happens to these conferences. So when your conference comes back in and you decide you need a speaker on stage that can talk about business, please look me up at DamianMason.com. Lance Growlick, if they want to, first off, closing thoughts that anybody can profit from, whether they are a franchisee, franchisor, sole proprietor out there with that pick, uh, hammering away, what do they need to know? Well, to me, my biggest tip is always about your people. You know, train them as well as you possibly can. And, and you're going to have gold down the road. And if you want to visit me, go to ionfranchising.com. I have a free assessment. That free assessment will help you and help myself understand what brands you might be most compatible with, leveraging your skills and your mindset. And it's a wonderful tool for you. And uh, let's jump on a call and have a quick 15-minute introductory call. It was Ion, I-O-N, franchising.com. And I know that you're on Facebook. You're on Instagram. I'm looking right here. You're on Twitter, Ion Franchising. You're, I'm sure, on LinkedIn. And yes. you can also find him at Lance at Franmore, Lance at Franmore.com. So go check him out. Hey, thanks for being on here. Thanks for having me, Damien. All right. Till next time, it's the Do Business Better podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of Do Business Better, please share it. And be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear and Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com. Know someone who'd make a great guest? Send us a message. We're always looking for compelling stories and business lessons our listeners can benefit from. Thank you. Thank you.